Welcome to the Mortcast, brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, and Blake Street Tavern, the big house on Blake Street. Before I get started, I'd like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th, and Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Now is a good time to go to bfwdenver.com and pick yourself up a bottle of the set of that great wine that I've been talking about for two years now. Uh, there is the 2017 Cabernet, and there is the Blake Street Blend, uh, the two personal Jeff Morton recommendations. So if you go in there, uh, you have my seal of approval for what that is worth. Uh, but you can also get whatever they got there if you go online. Um, now, if you go into Blanchard Family Wines, you can uh, on in the dairy block, you can go in and get, it's Monday, folks, I apologize, um, you can get a, uh, uh, all the Colorado varietals that they have with partnerships with Western Slope uh, wineries, um, and, you know, enjoy the atmosphere, uh, but they got reds, they got whites, they got blends, they've got uh, Rieslings, they got basically anything you need as a connoisseur of wine, uh, and if you just want to have a good time, go down to the BF, to uh, Blanchard Family Wines. But you can always go to bfwdenver.com because they're always online. Pick yourself up a bottle. Book yourself a virtual wine tasting with winter coming up. Maybe not want to go down there. Uh, still worried about COVID, which is not great in Colorado right now. And uh, go do a virtual wine tasting. Those are very popular. Once again, they're located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Boisee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They are always online at bfwdenver.com, Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. When you go in or you talk to them, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you there. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Morecast, part of the CSG Network. I'm, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. Okay, this is a... This is uh, uh, one of those, it's almost, a for those of you who have uh, listened to CSG for a long time, uh, this is almost a Know Your History, so I may end up calling it a Know Your History, but uh, uh, this is basically in response to one Scotty Pippen's, uh, an excerpt I read from his uh, fourth upcoming novel, which, uh, our book, which seems to be basically... Just his grievance is based on the Last Dance documentary, which is a horrible reason to write a book, but um, I'll get to that in a second. Um, the crux of Scotty's complaint is that Michael Jordan was paid for a, a documentary that was on Michael Jordan, um, <laughs> and no one else was. And uh, the last shot that uh, Tony Kukoc got in nine, game uh, four, 1994, um, I don't, I, 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 there's several ways to look at this. And in the second half of the podcast, I'm going to get into why Scotty is nuts for uh, still holding a grudge about that shot all these years later, um, 27 years later. But the, the I kind of want to get into Scotty as his virtues and his not so great personality quirks. Um, Scotty was drafted in 1987 um, as a really a guy that needed to. Uh, coming from Arkansas, uh, he just wasn't able to get noticed until 
you know, he was found by the Bulls in 87 and really became um, the additional piece that Michael Jordan needed uh, to get over the hump. And here is where the rub continues to happen for Scotty. Uh, it is, he is, will, and always will be in the shadow of, Scott, of Michael Jordan. Um, he made the top 50 list in 1996, which at the time I remember feeling that it was a strange addition, um, but for different reasons. And uh, like I said, I'll get into that in a bit. But Scotty Pippen was a, an interesting guy. He's a guy that could, could say, like, if there is an optimal version of Ben Simmons who who doesn't have his current issues, but uh, a Ben Simmons who wasn't reluctant to shoot, um, is Scottie Pippen. Um, and Simmons is a far better passer than Scotty. But uh, Scotty was able to play in every lineup the Bulls had and still, you know, hold his own. Um, great defensive player. A guy who would who could be able to anchor a, a, a team sans Michael Jordan. He would often get rotated into the uh, second unit um, and kind of keep him afloat. Uh, Phil Jackson liked to keep one of Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen on the floor at all times. So it was uh, perfect for those Bulls teams, um, particularly in the style of play at the time. Uh, that was much more compressed, and uh, there was more defense allowed, uh, physical defense, I should say. And I think when we look back on those Bulls teams, particularly the first three, um, you see the positives of Scotty come out big time. Um, Scotty really helped out, particularly in the... Uh, okay, folks, the, the best Bulls team in my view, was the 91-92 Bulls team that beat the Blazers in the, uh, uh, in the finals. Um, that was the best Bulls team I ever saw, and I would say it is one of the greatest single-year teams um, I've seen next to the 86 Celtics. Uh, they were just amazing that year. Um, and you had still youngish Michael Jordan. And you still had um, that team was just like it had the, the little role players were all vets and they knew what to do, and uh, it was one of those it was one of those teams that was expertly put together by the villain of the Last Dance, Jer Jerry Krause. Uh, if you look back at the '92 Finals, uh, Scottie Pippen was arguably arguably the best player in that series. Um, and uh, Jordan ends up getting the MVP, obviously. But, I mean, really, you could have made an argument for Scottie Pippen. Um, Scotty is just a guy who brings everything together. He, he, because he was so good at defense uh, as a 6'10 wing, 6'9", 6'10 wing, he could cover a lot of space, do exactly what Phil Jackson needed that Bulls team to do, and just be basically the, the super... Every team needs this. The guy that just holds it together. He allowed Jordan to be Jordan because uh, Jordan could freelance, do his physical defense, um, and pick and choose his spots, whereas Scotty had to be basically 100 all the time. Um, 
and he allowed Jordan to do it. And so Jordan, you know, was right when he said he wouldn't have got these titles without Scottie Pippen. 100% uh, true. Um, at the flip side of Scottie Pippen, he's, ex- he's an extremely, and I do mean extremely petty individual who, I, you know, look, I did I don't, I'm not, I can't psychoanalyze someone. There's probably exigent circumstances that uh, made Scotty the way he is. But he's had a streak of being, having grievances his entire life. It's not just now. That is Scotty Pippen. Scotty Pippen has always been the grievance guy. Uh, Michael Jordan was a, I'm go, I want to, um, you know, throttle you because you're, you uh, slighted me better than me, all this stuff. Scotty is the petty guy. He's the guy that will just complain about it. And if you want to know the difference between Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, it's that Jordan would go out onto the court and try to throttle you uh, and wouldn't back down until he did. And Scottie Pippen was a guy that would internalize it, hold a grievance, and end up refusing to go into a game because a coach drew up a play for another player. All that being said, when Jordan retired in 1993, it presented an opportunity for Scotty to prove himself. And one of the more remarkable things about the 93-94 Bulls is that it's probably the best ever coaching job Phil Jackson did. Um, that was basically the 92, the 90-93 the, the Bulls without Jordan, uh, but with um, Steve Kerr, basically. Um, but it was still that starting lineup. Uh, John Paxson was gone, so he had been replaced by uh, Steve Kerr. So there was a... This was not necessarily a transition period. This was basically the, the same Bulls team, but it was without Michael Jordan. Well, they won 55 games that year. One game less than the New York Knicks. And the Knicks were the prohibitive favorite to go to and even win the title that year because of uh, circumstances. Uh, they won 60 games the year before and uh, ended up uh, bowing out to the Bulls in the conference finals. The 92-93 Bulls were probably the less, the least of the first run. Um they had to struggle and ended up playing a very good uh, Phoenix Suns team and winning that series in six games because the Suns couldn't win on their home court that year. Um, but there is just a, there's a, just kind of a prove it thing that happened in 93, 94. And, and, and to be honest with you, this is the first year, and if anyone's listened to my Know Your Histories before, um, 93-94 is the year that the triangle was the triangle. Uh, I don't think uh, Phil Jackson ran the triangle as much as it, he did in, in any team that he's coached, be it the Bulls or the Lakers. Uh, I don't think he has run the triangle as much as he did that year. That was, that was the triangle year. Uh, and Scotty flourished in it, and he was by far the best player on that team. And it really, that was his, but they didn't have a second star. There, there, there was Horace Grant, who was fantastic, and 
uh, doesn't get nearly as much credit as he deserves for being the great player that he is. Uh, just for example, him going to the Magic the next year, the 94-95 year, is probably the reason they made it to the finals, Horace Grant. But that point aside, 93-94 was Scotty's do-it-by-yourself year. And it worked, and but there was a little thing that happened that year that got under Scotty's skin uh, for reasons unknown. You know, Scotty is not a, what you would call, give you the ball and clear out Carmelo Anthony, Michael Jordan type player. Um, he was very good mid-game at dunking on Patrick Ewing, like he did in game two. Uh, excuse me. Yeah, no, game six, excuse me, of the, uh, of the, of the semifinals that year. Uh, that, that is who Scotty is, but Scotty's not the end of game guy. He's good at making the, 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 the thing happen, but inevitably Scotty's issue was that he is so full of grievance at times he would take, he would take awful shots, awful shots. And Phil Jackson knew this. Tony Kukoc had come into the Bulls team uh, in that year. That was uh, his Tony Kukoc's rookie season, and obviously there was already issues between Kukoc, Jerry Krause, and Scottie Pippen, and Michael Jordan for that matter, because of Jerry Krause's uh, avowed love of. Uh, Tony Kukoc going all the way back to the 92 Olympics. And Jordan and Pippen made it a point to make an example of Kukoc in those Olympics. And it was all due to Jerry Krause being Jerry Krause, which is another story. But there was always that already that, that issue. Tony Kukoc was a very, for, I mean... I would describe Tony Kukoc as Danilo Gallinari, basically. Um, uh, not a, not a one-for-one one comparison, but Gallo is really, a, well, especially with the Nuggets, a very good clutch player. And he loved taking the last shots. And Kukoc that year hit three game winners. One in particular was a play that was designed to get uh, Kukoc at basically at the top of the key to where he could hit the game winner. Um, it was very, just a simple, very simple play designed to just get him enough space where he could get the shot off. And it worked. But it worked three times that year. And quite frankly, Kukoc had proven himself to be a great end-of-game guy. And imagine if you're Scotty Pippen, who already had issues with Tony Kukoc. Imagine three times in that year, Phil Jackson drawing up game winner shots for Kukoc and not having Scottie Pippen take those shots. Here's the problem. Uh, Scottie Pippen, and I've said it before, he wasn't exactly Mr. Clutch. And his penchant for shooting, isolating, and shooting terrible shots is something that has gone largely unnoticed. Uh, in the NBA world. Uh, 
Um, Scotty had a tendency to chuck in late game situations when doing something that he wouldn't ever do the previous, you know, uh, three quarters of the game. And it's just because Pippen is wired to be the guy that keeps everything together, not necessarily the guy that is head and shoulders over everyone else. And that part reared its ugly head in game four of this wild and wacky series against the Knicks in 1994. And I will tell you about the sequence that Scotty is so aggrieved about after I tell you about DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Football fans, who's ready to score some free bets? Now you can when you bet on any NFL game this week with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers who bet just $1 on either team to score can win $100 in free bets. When a team scores, you score. DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also get skin in the game with those same game parlays. Those are wildly, wildly popular. Okay, folks, people love these same game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. It is it is like same like a multiple game parlay. Um, these same game parlays are like that, but it's like more contained. And uh, I'm finding more and more people who I talk to love these same game parlays. It's it's something that they they really 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 enjoy. And I, I think if you go to DraftKings Sportsbook, you could try it out for yourself using code MHS. See what see if you like it. Download DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS. One bet one dollar on either team to score and win one hundred dollars in free bets. If they score, you score with promo code MHS. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be twenty-one or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com/sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call one eight hundred five two two forty seven hundred. Okay, I think when uh, I talk about Scottie Pippen and I talk about that sequence he's so aggrieved about, you need to go back and watch the sequence. And there is absolute, there's a great five-minute video available on YouTube. And I had to watch this to refresh my memory uh, because I watched that game. It was on TNT. And my memory was that Scotty was bricking shots and Patrick Ewing was making shots and that was that was my memory and I had to watch this video to adequately remember what happened and you know what my memory was 100% accurate uh, Patrick Ewing in the final minute and 30 scored eight points including the game tying hook shot um, Scottie Pippen was 0 of 3 and all of the shots were awful um, and it's one of those things where it, it was, it, it, one of the reasons I like this video, excuse me, Scotty Pippen was 0 of 2, not 0 of 3. One of the reasons I like this video is that it just, it, it, it was very clear. It's concise. They took, they, uh, uh, edited all the mid, mid timeout stuff. And it's just, it's a great video to kind of see what was happening in the game. You know, it was a great moment for the Bulls overall because that Bulls team was not as good as this Knicks team. This Knicks team was destined for the finals that year, even though they were going to go through three straight seven-game series. Um, but that 
Bulls team was, you know, without Jordan, just not, was not as good as this Knicks team. And they fought this series to seven games. And this was their signature moment. This really was their signature moment. However, the minute and 30 seconds leading up to Kukoc's shot are horribly executed basketball, primarily by Scottie Pippen. Uh, after Craig Hodges hit a uh, one of two free throws, the this just the the uh, Knicks were down by six, and it was six straight points by Patrick Ewing, uh, leaving him open, uh, letting him go to the lane. The, the defense was just lax. Um, it was it was not a great moment for the Bulls leading up to that Kuko shot. However, uh, we're, this is what I want to focus on. Um, those of you who remember this series, and I, one of these days someone's going to do a deep dive on this series because that's it's really probably the bit the best Knicks Bulls series next to the one in '92, and it featured uh, the big brawl uh, featured by with uh, Harper and oh, I forgot the Bulls guy, um, and Myers. Myers, um, and it, it just was marred by that, but it was still a very competitive, very nice series. Here's something you need to know. The, I don't consider the Bulls' later three titles from 95 to 98 to be as as good as the first three. This is almost exclusively because the NBA uh, moved the three-point line in, and what that did was essentially just make things more compressed. They were trying to encourage more three-point shots, and all it did was just decrease the spacing. Um, and there was a uh, expansion in 1995, which completely diluted the talent in the league, and it wasn't... It took the league years, probably to the 2003 draft, to replenish that talent, because it was... Because between there, they, they expanded one more time to get the Charlotte Bobcats, uh, which later became the Charlotte Hornets. But the NBA expanded. This was riding on the crest of the first three Jordan titles. And they expanded two more teams. This was the Canadian expansion. And it just diluted. It made the league mucky. Uh, games were, uh, you know, some games you wouldn't get out of the seventies and scores. It just was, there's a marked decline in 1995 of play in the NBA, but in 93, 94, 94, 95, you had the most parody you've ever seen in the NBA because Jordan was gone and you had a lot of very competitive mid-90s scores, except for the finals that year, which was the Knicks just dragging uh, the Rockets down into the muck with them. So 93-94 is one of those years. It was it was one of those strange, strange years, but it was still a very good and very extremely competitive NBA. So that series in itself was an achievement for the Bulls because they had no Jordan, and they... As I said, we're not as good as these, this next team. So you come to this game where really they have to muck out this series. And you get to the final minute 
there is a mid-range shot that Scottie Pippen took from the from the left side that was barely drew iron and then with about um, 17 seconds left uh Pippen wastes 10 seconds just meandering and then heaves up the worst three-point shot I've ever seen. It doesn't even draw iron. It goes off the backboard and careens to uh, a Knicks player, and it, it garnered a 24-second violation. It was a terrible shot. It was a terrible sequence. And you can see why Phil Jackson's like, i got to get Kukoc this shot because Scotty's not going to – I can't trust Scotty to do this. And that's pretty much plain and simple. Scotty Pippen brought that game on himself by heaving up two awful shots in the last minute of this game. Um, and it was, uh, I can do this. Just put it on my shoulders. It's fine. And I don't blame anyone who has that point of view. Um, if you can do it, you can do it. And I want you to prove it. But Scotty couldn't. And during the course of this year, Tony Kukoc could. So five seconds left in a Knicks inbound. The ball gets it to Starks who gets it to Ewing for flying hook shot. Uh, I, it's the first hook shot I've ever seen Patrick Ewing. I I watched most of Patrick Ewing's career because I was a uh, the Knicks were my second team after the Nuggets uh, were just basically awful in the nineties. And I saw that. I mean, that was a tremendous hook shot over Bill Cartwright uh, in Cartwright's final year with the Bulls, and it was. Tremendous! It was just—it was such a shot. Patrick Ewing finished with 34 points and 19 rebounds that game. Just a dominating, absolutely dominating performance, and he's scoring the last eight points the Knicks scored. Three seconds left. No, excuse me, two seconds left. Uh, timeout taken. Now here's another thing. Pippen almost screwed up the. Uh, ability to advance the ball when he inbounds the ball and if you watch this sequence you could see Phil Jackson losing his mind Scotty inbounds the ball and it's like uh, and I'm going to when I post this on Twitter I'll link to the video Scotty inbounds the ball it's Phil Jackson if he, if he hadn't have taken that time out the Bulls would have been screwed Absolutely screwed. Um, because Phil Jackson had was quick thinking, the timeout was taken um, prior to the ball coming in. And that saved them from having to go from under the basket. Pippen is very famous now. You saw it in the last dance, but we all knew about this before. Pippen sees that the shot's going to go to Kukoc, and he refuses to go in the game. And it that's bad. And it was it was one of those wins, and because what once the play gets drawn up, Kukoc gets in, hits a great and I do mean great contested shot, swish, Bulls win the game, right. They cut right to Phil Jackson, and he just has this look of, of just sadness in his face. 
And it was because Pippen refused to go in the game. And it was, you can say, I mean, Scotty's probably going to say this in his own words. He's probably going to make some BS argument. But the fact is, Scotty needed to be out there on the court. And that was the ultimate sign that, that Scotty couldn't be trusted to do this sort of thing. And it's more than just taking one for the team. Look, John fucking Paxson took the game-winning shot in Game 6 in 1993. John Paxson. And it seemed to me that this all stemmed from Scotty's grievance with Tony Kukoc that he didn't allow this to happen. And I think people need to just watch this video when I post this on Twitter at jmorton78 and at csg underscore network. When I post this, watch this video and you'll see exactly what I mean. Scotty had just proven that he couldn't handle the moment and Tony Kukoc could. It has nothing to do with anything other than Scotty. And while we all read this book and we see this great big publicity tour that Scott, Scotty's going to go on, remember this. And remember that Phil Jackson 100% did the right thing in drawing up that play for Tony Kukoc. All right, that's it for this CSG Network, uh, excuse me, CSG Podcast, Mortcast. Uh, I will be back soon with another episode. Goodbye.